It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Welcome to the Money Guy Show. I'm your host, Brian Preston, and you guys are going to kill me because once again, I'm putting off the topic that we're supposed to be talking about, which is going deeper into the world of investing and talking about how to pick a mutual fund manager. And I promise next week that is going to be the show topic, but I just had something fall on my lap that was too good to pass up. Um, big fan, and I normally don't do this. You guys know we don't do interviews on this show unless it's something that I think is very beneficial and can add a lot of value. And that's exactly what's going on today is we actually have the benefit of having Liz Weston, who is the, you know, she writes, she's written several books, I, I believe three, and then she's also one of the most read syndicated personal finance com columnists as well as, you know, what she does on the inter internet with MSN joining us today to talk about she's actually got something to talk about which is the pay yourself first challenge through fmbo direct and you guys know i'm a big fan of the first national bank of omaha because they do have some of the best rates out there um, for their money markets and they've actually got a great contest a kind of a reality-based contest that they're going to be doing um, where they're, they're encouraging people to do youtube videos to, to talk about their personal savings goals. And Liz is going to get into that in just a second. But I wanted to just welcome you to the Money Guy Show. I am your host, Brian Preston. By day, I'm a fee-only wealth manager. And just for giggles as a hobby, we do this show that a lot of you have come to rely on each week to get good personal finance advice. If you want to go check out our show notes, you can go to money-guy.com, or you can write the show at brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com. But let's go ahead and bring Liz on. Liz, thanks so much for join, joining the show um, I'm a huge fan of yours, and I want to tell how I use your stuff on a day-to-day -day basis, but I also want to, to kind of give you some kudos and read a little bit of your bio. So this is probably the part where you blush a little bit as I read about you. So um, let, let me read this. I'm going to take a deep breath because you've accomplished a lot. So, so this is a, a pretty fat bio here to read, but it talks about, it says, Liz Weston is the author of the books Easy Money, How to Simplify Your Finances and Get What You Want Out of Life, Deal with your debt and your credit score. How to fix, protect, and improve the three-digit number that shapes your financial future. That was a total of three books, if I'm reading that right. Is that correct, Liz? That's right. The, your credit score, which was my first book, came out in the second edition last year. So I guess publishers would technically say four, but I counted it as three as well. Well, congratulations. And then um, let's go on. Let's carry on with this, this, this long intro here. It says, she is a personal finance columnist for MSN Money and author of the question and answer column Money Talk, which appears in newspapers throughout the country. Formerly a personal finance writer for the Los Angeles Times, um, it talks about Liz is a graduate of the Certified Financial Planner Training Program at the University of California, the winner of the 2007 Clarion Award for Online Journalism. She lives in Los Angeles with your, your husband and daughter. So I'm, I'm excited. And th let me tell you why I'm excited, Liz, to have you on the show is that I have, and this is how I know, um, this is kind of my proof, is that one of your columns that you did on MSN was a, a column titled Eight Things Your Financial Planner Won't Tell You that was, I printed this out. I don't know when you wrote this, but actually the, the, the article I printed off the internet that I use in every prospect meeting that I've had since I found this article is dated February 23rd of 2004. So this, this thing has been around for a little bit. And I feel like the, the information is timeless and, and that's why I still use it. Do you still feel, do you remember the, doing this piece actually? Oh, absolutely, because I get a lot of questions about that. I mean, some people confuse me for a financial planner and want me to take on their money, 
But more often they're just saying, how do I find someone? How do I know I can trust the person I've found? And I think a lot of people are in commission-based relationships with their financial advisors, and they don't realize that there's, or they sense, but they don't know that there's a conflict of interest there. And also they want to, you know, feel like their financial advisor is putting them first when that's often not the case. So I thought that outlining what you should look for, what you deserve, basically, as a consumer of financial advice, you know, we needed to talk about that. But I also wanted to kind of alert people that even though somebody calls themselves a financial advisor or a financial planner, there are no rules about who can claim those titles. That's exactly right. So you can have people who are selling insurance calling themselves a financial planner when they have absolutely no background or education in the field. So I thought it was important to write that. And you're right, we haven't updated it because there's not much more to say. Well, and it, like I said, it's timeless. And um, I always think that it kind of puts prospects at ease when I bring out this article because they're familiar with your face and, and your name. And then when you actually go through the weaknesses of this industry, I got to tell you, it builds a, a foundation of trust pretty quickly, even in a, in a situation that sometimes can be uncomfortable when you're talking about managing money. But yeah. now I know you're also here, and I kind of hinted at it a little bit. Now, I just want to do a touch on because I think we'll have a chance to talk about this a little bit more at the end of the show. But you're also here to talk to us today about the Pay Yourself First Challenge um, that is put out by FNBODirect.com. Can you just give us a brief intro, a teaser, until we get to the end of our other questions that I want to go deeper into personal finance topics? Oh, absolutely. I'm co-hosting this contest, and how you enter, as you alluded to, is you you know, tape a short video talking about what your savings goal is, what you're saving for. You upload it to YouTube, and then the bank will pick out eventually five challengers. And we're going to basically follow their progress over six months in meeting their financial goals. And there's all kinds of prizes. There's even a gift card just for entering. And we think it's a great way to get people talking about savings, to get them excited about it, the same way that America's Biggest Losers kind of inspires you to think about weight loss and, and, you know, kind of builds a community to cheer people on. So that's what we're looking for. Yeah, and I I was pretty excited because I I went and pulled up some information on the site, and and I thought it was pretty interesting. Just for the 500 first YouTube submissions, they're going to send out a $10 Amazon gift card um, for the top 20 people, they're going to give $500 cash prizes, and then the grand prize looked like it's, I mean, a, a vacation, and then there's all kinds. So uh, I look at this, I always think about things in common sense approaches, and I always like, most people are, are kind of lazy. I mean, it, it's, it's the truth. So a lot of people probably aren't even going to submit, a, a, you know, put a video together they're just because they think they're too busy to take the time to do this stuff. So you probably, you know, I don't want to pad the numbers here, but you probably have a pretty good chance of of being that first 500. I don't know. I'm trying to encourage the listeners to, to try to get involved because I know we have an active listener audience that, w- that could really, I think, benefit from something like this. Well, the other thing to keep in mind is that when you make your goal public, when, even writing it down, that really encourages you to start planning to get there. And doing it in a public way, I've talked to a lot of personal finance bloggers who said, you know, when I, I started my blog and I put my savings goal out there, really motivated me and kind of held me accountable. So I would encourage people to at least think about submitting a video because that makes your goal public. And who knows, you could wind up being one of those five final challengers, and those guys get matched dollar for dollar of their savings up to $5,000. Well, let's talk, um, and I want to come back to that contest, but I do want to dive into a little bit deeper 
and into personal finance because you have written three books that kind of are all over the board of personal finance. So you have a wealth of knowledge that, that I'd like to kind of to, to dip into and see if we can, you know, help our listeners out with. And the first thing I had was that I know you, you frequently address debt issues for the consumer. I believe you, even your second book was titled Deal With Your Debt, The Right Way to Manage Your Bills and Pay Off What You Owe. Obviously, one of the most common forms of debt in society today is credit card debt. It's, it, it, I found that it's gotten nearly impossible to function today without owning at least one credit card. I don't even think you can rent cars or do anything without a credit card. I always encourage my clients and listeners, you know, if they're going to utilize, utilize a credit card, to at least try to pay it off in full each month. But I'm curious, Liz, what, what's your take on credit cards? Are they, they evil like you hear some people talk about, or can they be used as a tool? And, and I'm a fan of, of Dave Ramsey and some other guys out there, but I do find it hard to just go the no whatsoever use. I want to get your take since you are kind of an expert in this area. Well, I have the financial planning type background that I look at debt as a tool. And I know there are people out there that just hate that perspective. They don't think there's any way to responsibly use a credit card. But I'll tell you what, 30% of the folks, of the households in this country pay off their credit card bills in full every month. And then you have another 25% who don't have credit cards. So, you know, the folks without credit card debt are actually a majority, right. which is not something that you hear a lot. And here's the thing. If you use a credit card responsibly, it's an amazing tool. It helps you build your credit rating, your credit score, and you need good credit scores more than ever these days. I mean, look at the credit crunch. The folks that have good credit scores still have plenty of access to credit. The folks who don't are either shut out or they're paying through the nose. So it's never been more important to keep your credit scores up. And responsibly using, lightly and regularly, your credit card can really help with that. You don't want to use more than about 30% of your credit limit at any time. But if you do what I do, which is, you know, use it to charge things, get rewards, pay it off in full every month, you know, you really are getting ahead of the system. It's the folks who carry balances. They're the ones that are sort of subsidizing folks like me and all my rewards. So I don't think credit cards are inherently evil. I think they can be a great tool. They're wonderful um, protecting you from fraud. They can be a great middleman if you run into a problem with a merchant. I've used them several times like that. The better cards have all kinds of uh, extended warranties, purchase protection, benefits like that that a lot of people don't even know exist. The problem is there is a small segment of the population that simply can't handle credit. They certainly can't handle credit cards. They're probably better off on a cash basis. But to say that you know, credit cards are evil is kind of like taking a prohibition attitude that, you know, because some folks are alcoholic, nobody should have a drink. And that's kind of the way I think about credit cards. Because some people abuse them doesn't mean that they are evil or should be out of bounds for the rest of us. Um, I do One thing, because I want to hit on something you said exactly, is that I was on a cruise a few years ago, and we rented a car down in Mexico while we were on, a, you know, one of those little you can tour the island or whatever you know the land and go visit the local areas and we rented a car and actually had a car accident because we had used a credit card to pay for the the rental car we actually didn't have to pay any of the the claims or insurance or anything the credit card kind of stepped in and, and covered everything and i was just floored that that you know that i was fortunate enough to to know that they did that and actually followed through and did take care of everything for us yeah, and purchase protection is another thing that's, that's really great. A lot of people don't know about it. It tends to be on the higher-end cards, the signature visas, and the, I forget what uh, MasterCard calls them, World, I think, or something like that. American Express is another one. Um, I, I managed to drop my phone shortly after getting it, and the uh, 
the, the glass cracked, and it was something like a $250 repair, which just blew me away. And I contacted the credit card company, and it turned out that I was, not all credit cards cover this, but I was covered for accidental damage. Is that is that so, an iPhone? Do iPhones fall into that? Do you think? iPhone, yeah, I, I have a I have an iPhone. Oh, okay, that I, was exactly what it was. And the one the the uh, the Apple Store wound up replacing it, giving me a new phone without charge, so I didn't have to use the purchase protection. But it was really nice that it was there. Well, I will tell you after we get off this phone call, we'll probably be calling to see if I have that purchase protection since they don't offer the equipment um, protection, you know, or the iPhones that they offer with some of the other phones out there. Mm -hmm. um, I also, I will tell you, you mentioned previously the reward credit cards, and I'm a huge fan. I use the, the Chase Cash Rewards Plus, and the way that's no longer available, but what I thought was incredible at the time, and I know why they stopped doing it, is you get 5% back on, on groceries, drug stores, and gas purchases, and there's no minimums. You know, you're getting 5% up to 75,000 points and then 1% on everything else. Are there any other cards out there right now that our listeners can kind of, you know, that, that are a pretty good deal? Who's kind of leading the pack on the on the, the rewards cards? Now, it's been a few months since I checked up on this, but I did do a column about, uh, and I think it's called 15 or 16 of the best reward cards that are out there. And I remember that the Starwoods card, was at the top of a lot of the credit card experts' lists. You know, I kind of pulled, and then I asked, I pulled them about, you know, which which rewards cards they thought were best, and then I asked them what was in their own wallets. And that Starwood card turned up a lot. And I think one of the advantages of it is not only is there a pretty good, you know, um, accumulation rate, you, you get your rewards uh, pretty easily, but you can cash them in in all sorts of different ways. And one of the things that people like is that they can take the points from that card and dump it into different, uh, frequent traveler programs, you know, dump it into their airline miles, or they can, you know, get um, hotel rooms at Starwood Properties, and the redemption rate tends to be pretty good. Instead of the normal 1% or 2% rebate, it kind of works out to 4 or 5% and can be even more. So that one came up a lot. American Express Blue Cash is mm -hmm. another rewards card that's in a lot of the pockets of the people that run websites like, you know, cardratings.com or um, low cards, some of those other places where their business is knowing what credit cards are out there and what the great deals are. Well, I also I kind of want to transition into, because one of your other books um, deals with credit credit reports and your credit rating and so forth, because that is so important in this day and time, because I'll tell you, with mortgages, what I found when I've talked to clients who are getting mortgages or even getting property and casualty insurance more and more people, you can't do anything without making sure you have a good credit score. And then now property and casualty insurers are ranking you on what you pay in premiums by how good of a credit rating you have as well. So credit be has become much more important. And you had a book titled Your Credit Score, How to Fix, Improve, and Protect That Three-Digit Number That Shapes Your Financial Future. It addresses common concerns that everyday consumers have with their credit score. I try to frequently remind my listeners that they have access to one free credit report from each of the three credit reporting agencies each year if they visit annualcreditreport.com. That's the one that actually provides the free one um, that, that's put out by the credit agencies, I believe. Um, other than making your payments on time, what would you say is the best thing an individual can do to boost their credit score? And how far in advance should they begin working on this if they're going to, say, buy a house or, or a new car in, in, the, in the near future? One of the most powerful things you can do to improve your credit score is paying down that credit card debt. If you carry a balance, getting that whittled down can really have a fairly dramatic effect on your credit score. And, you know, you mentioned that paying your bills on time is important because even one missed payment, even one skipped payment, can knock 100 points off your score. So you wow. want to make sure, absolutely sure, all your bills are getting paid. 
But then you want to take a look at that credit card debt. You, you know, I tell people that they don't want to use more than 30% of their credit limit at any given time. And this is true for people who carry a balance, but it's also true for people like you and me that pay off our balance in full every month. We don't want to be maxing out our card to run after all those rewards sure. because that can really hurt your score. And people don't understand that your credit score, your credit report, don't really know or care if you carry a balance. What they're looking at, the figure that they see, is the balance from your last statement. So if you went online right now and looked at your credit card accounts, chances are the balances shown there are the balances you got last month mm-hmm. you know, that showed up on your statements. So if you want to improve your score, you need to get that figure as low as possible. 30% is good. 10% of your credit limit or less is even better. And sometimes people who are trying to you know, improve their credit scores will do things like ask for a higher limit, which can sometimes do it, or make two payments. They'll make a payment right before the statement closes to get that figure down that's reported to the credit bureaus, and they'll make a second payment right before the due date because they don't want to be counted as being missed. Some credit card companies won't count that first payment. Interesting. So it's a way to game the system a little bit, but you're, you're trying to get those numbers down so that your balance is as low as possible. Well, the, let me ask, because that kind of leads into one other side question, is that I find with credit card companies that they do that every few months. You'll get, a, you'll get something in the mail that says, by the way, congratulations, you have such great credit. We want to give you a, access to another $5,000, and before you know it, you have a forty to fifty thousand dollar credit limit with the credit card companies is that you're saying that's that's not the end of the world because it yeah. probably makes your utilization rate look lower yeah people panic about you know their limits being raised and they ask if they should you know have their limits lowered or they just go out and do it lowering your limits is not a good thing that is squeezing the gap between your balances and your total available credit so you don't want to lower your your limits if you're trying to improve your credit if you're getting higher limits, that's actually a good thing. And people think, well, the lenders are going to think that I'm going to run out and charge up a bunch of you know, debt and then default. And the reality is lenders have figured out, and the credit scoring system has figured out, that if you haven't done that in the past, you're not likely to do it in the future. So sometimes when you go get your credit score, you might get a reason code that the reason it's not higher is that you have too much available credit. Well, that's basically because your score is so high they can't think of anything else negative to tell you. Sure. So when you get that reason code, that's actually a good thing. That means your score is pretty good. And even if you could fix it, by, you know, I, I, even if you did something, you couldn't actually fix it. You know, if you went out and closed a bunch of accounts and, and lowered a bunch of your credit limits, that actually would damage your score. It wouldn't undo the fact that, you know, you got that reason code. I'll, I'll tell you my own experience when I was, um, you know, I got a credit card right out of college. That was my first credit card. And the thing is, is that it was not a great, it wasn't a great rebate card or anything else. But I, I know when I was buying my first house, I thought about closing that account. But mm-hmm. that was the oldest account. So that's probably the one that was helping my credit more than any of the others because it had been open for the longest period of time. But when, what I found was very, if you have an old credit card that's not beneficial to you anymore, you might want to just call the company because there's only a few very big credit card companies, you know, with Chase, Capital One, that you might be able to get them to transition that old credit card into one of these new reward programs and they don't have to close the account. That's what, that's what they were able to do for me. And, and that way I still had the long credit history but turned it into a really good rebate card as well. Yeah, um, that's a great idea. And if you can possibly get them to do that, you're, if, they, if they do it right, then your history with that card imports to the new card. 
And I've had one card, my same, the one I got right out of college, <laughs> that I've hung on to, and I think we've gone through five mergers now. Mm-hmm. And it's still, my credit history still shows up as starting, you know, when I got out of school. So it's, it's really important to hang on to those old cards. If they're not useful to you now, hang on to them anyway. Try to get them transitioned if you can. I even think it's worth paying a small annual fee to keep some of those older ones open if it's like your oldest card or you don't have a lot of other cards. Now, that doesn't mean you can never close a card. If you have a high credit score, you know, you can go ahead and close some of those retail accounts that you don't use or whatever. But I would hang on to those old cards and the ones with your highest credit limits. And and I'm asking this for my own selfish purposes. I can't help but ask. But I'm one of these people when I go, my wife wants to go buy a new dining room set and it's a good chunk of money and I take that 10% you know, same as cash, plus I give you, I get a 10% discount, plus it's same as cash for like, you know, six months. Is it bad if I, you know, if I pay that off in the six months, take that 10% discount, but then close the account immediately? Is that is that having a negative impact on the, the credit score? Typically, opening it is the thing that, that has the ding on your credit score. And you're probably talking five points, so it's not a huge deal. And, yeah, closing the account after you do your business there. Again, as long as you have a lot of other accounts, you've got, you know, some major credit cards, American Express, Visa, Discover, MasterCard. If you have a a bunch of those, then closing some of those retail accounts isn't going to be a big deal. It doesn't help your score, may hurt it a bit, but just in terms of keeping things simple, that's kind of what I would do as well. Okay. Um, a few weeks ago, I did a show titled $200 a month with a few phone calls. And this is definitely important because of how tight everybody is with this economy. I mean, I think everybody's starting to fill, fill it a little bit in the back pocket. And, and in this show, I talked about how individuals can really save hundreds of dollars with a little elbow grease and some stern phone calls. And I always talk about ungrateful providers. And that doesn't mean that your insurance agent's not thankful for your business. But what I found is is that a lot of times your property and casualty insurance, which is your homeowner's insurance, your auto insurance, that they have premium creep that if you don't check them and keep them honest every three years, they take advantage of you by just raising the rates every year, and they give new customers better rates than existing loyal customers. So I always encourage people to go shop for better utilities, better property and casualty, to just keep their people honest. Is there anything else you can think of that in these crazy financial times that people can find some extra money laying around? Well, I, you probably talked about the phone issue, but uh, now is a great time to be looking at phone alternatives. And I had a recent experience where I was going to drop a landline, and the phone rep on the other side kept dropping the monthly price, you know, <laughs> trying to get me to stay. And I was determined to leave, but it was interesting to me that all I had to say was, you know what, I don't think we need this line anymore. And suddenly the cost that had seemed to be fixed in stone fell like a rock. The other thing to look at is your, I mean, TV is a great place to save right now. If you've got, as most communities do, you've got, you know, one cable provider, but there's also direct TV and dish. And if you play those guys off against each other, you can tend to get some pretty good discounts. I've been um, playing this game for a few years now where every time the cable company sends me a deal for twenty nine ninety five a month or whatever, I call up my satellite TV provider and say, you know, what can you do? And a lot of times they'll say, well, we can knock ten price, $10 off the price or give you HBO for free or something like that. So, you know, that's not really matching this offer. They go away. You know, I'm on hold for a few minutes. They come back, and inevitably I get another discount. And I've managed to shave between 25 and 
off our cable bills or off our TV bill without having to shut off the TV. Because that's usually the advice that you hear. Is right, like, well, if you, right. Money is tight, then, you know, uh, unplug the cable. But you can, you know, do this little bit of negotiation and really save a good chunk of, of change. That That's truly amazing. Um, one of the other questions before we talked about this, this, you know, what you're putting on for FMBO Direct Challenge, um, I want to talk about cash reserves and emergency funds because I know one of the things that's very scary to me right now when I'm trying to think about the long-term aspect of what's going on in the economy is homeowners equity, you know, equity in people have in their personal residences is, is not the guarantee that it was a while back. And um, in these times of needs, uh, how much reserves, because what I'm telling, I used to, I'll tell you Liz, I'm guilty of, I was one of these people who didn't keep huge cash reserves because I had a huge home equity line with my house because I paid down debt so quickly that I had, I had six figures of home equity that I had a cash, you know, that I had a home equity line of credit with that I was using as an emergency fund, you know, because I didn't feel like I would have an emergency. I just used the home equity line. Well, now with all these banks having financial problems, I've heard of people having their home equity lines free frozen, you know, or close, you know, or to the point that they can't use them anymore. Is there anything that, that you can tell people on how much you think that they should have in cash reserves? Because that, that taught me a stern lesson that don't count on that home equity. I still need to have some money in the bank. Yeah, exactly. It needs to be both. I've wrote a column a long, way, long time ago called the Zero Dollar Emergency Fund, and I was making the argument that a lot of people have more important priorities that they need to get to before they can get around to really building up a big cash pile. And, you know, I was saying people need to save for retirement, they need to pay off toxic debt like credit cards. And once those things are on track, you know, then you can focus on building up your emergency fund. I think everybody should have 500 bucks, 1000 bucks somewhere in cash to keep them from having to charge, you know, those inevitable things that happen, like a car repair or something like that. So you need to have that much of a stash. But other things, you know, may become more important. And I, too, gave the advice, you know, have a home equity line of credit, leave it open and unused. Um, that, you know, if you have a lot of equity and home prices are falling, you know, you might have your home equity line you know, shrunk, but it, it probably won't be closed entirely if you have a lot of equity now. Also, I told people, look at their credit cards. As they're paying down that credit card debt, they're freeing up available credit to use in an emergency. So those are like proxies for an emergency fund. But you're absolutely right. Nothing quite replaces having that nice big stash of cash somewhere, you know, out outside of your regular credit account, checking accounts, a big pile of cash that you can rely on in an emergency and I think people should shoot for at least three months. Yeah, if they can get six, that's even better. I don't think they should try to, you know, survive without having access to credit. I think access to credit can be a huge help in an emergency. But having that cash can also give you a great feeling. You can sleep better at night. And, and that's probably a great lead-in because um, the, the organization that you're contacting us about, the FNBODirect.com, they um, – they're, and I've talked about them on the show. Their money market rates, and it is FDIC insured, and that's what I talked about in the last show, is, you know, while you're worried about the banks, as long as they have that insurance that was put in effect back in 1933, you should be fine. They are paying, FNBO Direct right now is paying 3.5% on their FDIC insured money market, and I think that is truly incredible. But they, in addition to that, they're doing this this pay yourself first challenge. And and I know we kind of touched on it, but is, is there more that you want to add to kind of how this challenge is going to work and, and what you would encourage people to get involved with? 
Well, I, I think I mentioned before that when I talk to folks about, you know, who've met their financial goals, one of the things they say is that making their goal public in some way, writing it down, telling their friends about it, however they do that, really starts to hold, then they really start to hold themselves accountable. That, you know, now I've got this goal, now I need to do something to get there. And I think this contest could really help people, even if you don't wind up being one of the five challengers that we track for six months, just entering the contest will make that goal public. And if you get a chance, the, the site is the PYF for Pay Yourself First, so PYFChallenge.com. If you click the Enter Now button, you can see some of the videos that are up there. And some of them are really cute. You know, there's, there's people with using their kids and talking about their families. There's a groom that's saving for a wedding. There's, there's all different approaches. You can take a look and see what those are like. Now, the important, the important part thing is, is to have a community that's supporting you because we get, I mean, think about it, how often we're bombarded with, with images and messages to buy every advertisement that's out there. That's exactly right. Our friends might be spending more money. They want us to go out and eat and, you know, go to the bar or whatever. And having a community that can help remind you and support you that, you know, savings is an important goal, that can be really invaluable. I've noticed, and this is um, because we're we're going to try to get this show out there on the web by tomorrow, the deadline for getting those videos submitted is the end of the month, it looks like. So July 31st, is that is that the, the last date of submitting these videos? Yes, July 31st. And I want to mention that if you don't know how to upload a video, just grab your nearest teenager and they can show you how to do it. <laughs> it's pretty simple. Yeah, it's definitely simple on YouTube especially. So, you know, and I'm sure this works very similar to, to the way the YouTube section works. Um, how, tell me about the grand prize. I kind of hinted at the um, $10 Amazon cards for the first 500 submissions the $500 cash prizes for the top 20, but what are the big, big prizes? Well, the five challengers that are going to be picked out of the pool of, of um, contestants, those five challengers, we're going to track them for six months to see how they you know, do in terms of meeting their goals. Those folks will be matched dollar for dollar, up to $5,000 each. And then the grand prize winner gets a world-class spa vacation. And I think the dollar value of that is somewhere around 7500 I might be a little bit off. No, that's, that's exactly what it has on the website. Okay. That's incredible. And I think, you know, I think that's absolutely lovely. If you've sacrificed and worked hard to meet a goal, so nice to have a reward at the end. <laughs> and I think a spa vacation is a great way to reward somebody. Well, tell me, because um, I've already mentioned the fmbodirect.com website, but tell me the website once again for, for this contest. Yes, it's PYF Challenge. That's Pay Yourself First. So PYFChallenge.com. And then, Liz, if you wouldn't mind, because I also, I, I think people, um, I want them to go check out you, what you do at MSN. I want them to go check out your columns. Give, give your website that's best for, for people to go check you out as well. Oh, absolutely. It's AskLizWeston.com. So that's A-S-K-L-I-Z. And then Weston is W-E-S-T-O-N.com. And there's links to my columns on MSN. Pretty soon the newspaper column will be up there as well. There's previous appearances and links to NPR and other folks or other places where I've appeared. So, And there's also a um, contact Liz form if you have a question or want to submit a question for my column. Well, Liz, I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed having you on the show today. Um, Thank you, Brian. You're such a, a depth of knowledge. I, I think you could probably sense, I, I don't normally, I think listeners when they listen to this, they go sense a little nervousness, and that's probably just because little starstruck because I do get a chance to look at your column a good bit. 
enjoy the depth of knowledge that you always share. And I feel like you kind of added some of that to today's show. So um, thanks so much for joining us. And I know our listeners, I'll probably get a lot of feedback. If you want to go check out the show notes for the listeners, that's money-guy.com. We'll put Liz's contact information out there so you can go follow over to her websites as well as what fmbodirect.com is putting together. But Liz, thanks so much. Once again, we've had Liz Weston on today. Um, one of the most read personal finance columnists out there on the internet. I think it's a great honor to have her on the show today, and I just appreciate your time. I truly do. Thank you, Brian. It was a delight. Thanks so much, Liz. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, guys, we're back on. Um, we just let Liz go, and I got to tell you, I thought that was good. I, know, I hope you guys will understand that we're a little off schedule. We'll get back on doing the investment talk about the mutual funds, uh, but I think there was a lot of knowledge there. I mean, when I get off the phone here, I am going to be calling my credit card company to make sure I have the protection she talked about. Um, the credit report stuff I thought was very beneficial. So I think Liz added value. I think you guys will agree. It's okay to put off the mutual funds um, discussion one more week also, but I want to close out the show by giving you all the information. You can go check us out, money-guy.com. You can write me an email at brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com. And you have to remember, we hit an all-time high this past week, and I, I really attribute that to you guys, the listeners. Y'all have really taken an active role in trying to tell your friends and family about the show, and that's important to us because i got to tell you, there are corporations that are supporting a lot of the podcasts out there that are making it hard for a mom and pop like me. This is for giggles. Don't make much money, if anything. I'll tell you, we don't break even on the equipment. So only way we're going to continue to grow this thing is by you spreading the word, grassroots support. And it's got to make you feel good that here we are doing a show in an office, in my office building, and we get contacted by one of the most read personal finance writers out there with Liz Weston. I mean, she has millions of people read her column weekly. So that's a big, big sign for the Money Guy Show doing something right. And I thank you guys. You guys are a big part of that. Let's keep it up. And until next week, I'm your host for the Money Guy Show, Brian Preston. The Money Guy Podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. And Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.